James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. James 3, verses 1 through 12. And um, I'll be reading, and if you would follow along, and I'll be reading again from the, the ESV. And God's word says, uh, says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they will obey us, we, guard their, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers... These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. So we now are moving our way through James and we're finally into James chapter three and we're coming to a passage that's well known by a lot of people who have read the Bible. And we're coming to this topic of the tongue, the tongue. And now notice uh, what James is referring to here. He's referring to our speech, our, uh, the way we, we speak, um, the language that we use. He's using the kind of the tongue as kind of this um, metonym. It's a, it's a change in the name. The tongue is the organ that's largely responsible for the speech that we conduct. And it's typical kind of Jewish fashion to take kind of this physical thing and it represent uh, the, the entire speech that comes. Because there's obviously more involved in the tongue than, or more involved in speaking than just the tongue. You have the mouth and the lips and those kinds of things. But the tongue becomes this kind of picture, this symbol of the whole of speech. James has just gone on to talk about the true and genuine faith. A true and genuine faith produces works. And one of the faith demonstrating works James has in mind is the taming of the tongue. He's actually revisiting something he's already kind of introduced uh, a couple of times in his letter. And we've looked at only briefly but in James chapter 1, verse 19, he says this. Now, know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear and slow to speak, he says. 
Again, he says in verse 26, if anyone of chapter one, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James starts this passage by kind of talking about teachers and then immediately kind of talks about the, the main role of teachers is talking. And he talks about the, the danger that, that well, our talking can put us in. And so his main appeal here is it's actually not in verse one. Um, his main appeal is found in verse 10. But before we get there, I want to look at a couple of observations about uh, about the tongue in this passage on the taming of the tongue. The first one is and you could follow along in your outline too. first one is a couple of opening uh, observations about the tongue that we see in verses one and two. Like I said, he begins in verse one by talking about teachers being judged more strictly. Now, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, there's a lot that could be said about this, and I tried to include it in here, and it just was going to be a little too much. And so perhaps we'll, we'll address this verse in greater detail uh, uh, at a later point, or maybe I'll, you know, I'll put a video out or something and send it to you. Um, but but he's talking eventually he starts by talking about the the judgment that comes on teachers and that they're kind of says this truism we know that they're going to be judged by what uh, we say with greater strictness and he admits that even teachers will stumble too as a matter of fact everyone stumbles when it comes to what we say notice what he says in verse two for we all stumble in many ways in fact if one doesn't stumble in his speech he describes that person as being perfect. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. He moves on in the rest of verse two. Now, it's, it's kind of like he started to talk about teachers and not aspiring to be teachers because we're judged with strictness. And it's almost like he, he kind of gets derailed. And maybe there's a point. I don't what the connection is here, too. But he now launches into this whole thing about how it is that not just teachers use their tongue, but everyone uses their tongue. And he makes this claim in verse two, the second half of verse two, as the tongue goes, so goes the whole body. As the tongue goes, so goes the whole body body if anyone does not stumble in what he says he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body interesting word there that's bridle most uh, other english uh, translations of this verse have some other uh, term like either he is able to control his body or to keep his body in check, I think is how the, the NIV puts it. Um, but the, the Greek word here is, is the action of putting a, a bit in a horse's mouth and the leather straps that go around it and then the, the reins that are um, held by the, the rider and the pulling of the one side of the reins to, pull the, to direct the horse in this way or to pull in the other way and to, to go this way. It's actually that term. The term of like tugging the reins and directing the, the horse in where it needs to go. It's a great little imagery from, um, from kind of horse imagery. 
And that word is actually is only used two times in James. The other time it appears in James 1.26. As we saw, if anyone thinks he is religious but does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless, right? So put these two uses of this together, one in verse 26 of chapter 1 and here in verse 2 of chapter 3. If you're religious but aren't able to put the bit in the mouth and tug on the reins to control it and direct it where it needs to go, then it doesn't matter what religious activity you do. James says that ends up being worthless. What you do with your tongue can destroy everything else that you're doing. That's the one half of this. And then notice how it's used here. If he does not stumble in his speech... In other words, he is bridling his tongue. James says that person is also able to control his whole body. His whole self being under control. So as the tongue goes, the whole body goes. And this leads James into his next uh, couple of points that he wants to make in this in these passages. So begin with the opening observation that as the tongue goes, so the body goes. And then here's a couple of other uh, uh, points that James makes about the outside, the outsized influence of the tongue. The outside influence of the tongue in verses three through eight. The overall point he's making here is that even though the tongue is little in terms of the, the organs and parts of the body, it's relatively small. But the tongue as the symbol for our speech or our words is overwhelmingly powerful relative to its size. James talks about the power of our speech here. And he uses a couple of illustrations. Uh, again, we saw earlier the horse's bridle. Um, and he continues this talk in verse 3. If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So if you're able to bridle your tongue, you're able to control your whole body as well. Then he uses a, a picture from uh, seafaring. So the tongue's influence, you can see in the, the horse's bridle, it's influence, it can influence whatever we do. Now you see a little bit about the tongue's power as pictured in the ship's rudder. Verse 4, look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Okay, Big ship steered by a small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs. The outsized influence of the tongue is small. It has tremendous amount of influence. It can direct the whole body. It has tremendous amount of power in that as a rudder turns a ship, so the tongue turns our entire life. Number three, you see a little bit about the tongue's danger too, like a fire's spark, verses five and six. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Dangerous. 
tongue is influential, it's powerful, and it can be dangerous. As a matter of fact, Jesus, James's big brother, says these words in Matthew's gospel. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. People will give an account for every careless word they speak. Would you change the way you lived if you knew that every word and thought was examined by God? I'm guessing the answer would probably be yes. Jesus reminds us here that none of them, none of what we say goes unnoticed by God. Or misses his attention. And like a little spark on a fire that could set an entire forest ablaze. That's the, the dangerous power that our tongues also have. He uses the last little picture here of the outsized influence of the tongue by uh, wild animals. And this is kind of speaks to the tongue's waywardness. Verses 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. See the outsized influence of the tongue. That's what James wants to remind his audience of. And that's what God's reminding us of today. Remind us of the outsized influence that our speech has. He now moves on to talk about the overwhelming inconsistency of the tongue. Verses 9 and 10. Okay? So we saw the, the outsized influence, you know, being a small member and yet it has such a great influence over our life. Here he's talking about the, the overwhelming inconsistency of it. That the tongue is really supposed to do one, one thing and yet it ends up being abused and used in a wrong way first of all like simultaneously praising god and then cursing men verse 9 with it we bless our our lord and father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of god from the same mouth come blessing and cursing my brothers these things ought not to be so one tongue produces Praising and cursing. Praising of God and cursing the ones who were made in the image of God. Inconsistency. It's also overwhelming inconsistency is seen as the simultaneous like fresh and salt water coming from the same source. Verse 11 and then also at the end of verse 12. Does a spring, James asks... Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? And he answers this at the end. Neither can a salt pond produce fresh water. These two things do not go together. You don't have fresh salt water. <laughs> fresh water is the absence of salt in it, right? And he's saying, you know, a, a fresh, a salt pond cannot produce fresh water. 
This is the inconsistency of the tongue, like the praising and cursing. You can't have fresh and salt coming out of the same source. You're not, you're not supposed to. And lastly, he uses this imagery from, from plant life. In verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? So you have this, this inconsistency of one plant attempting to produce a different kind of fruit or the fruit of a different kind of plant, not, na not native to that plant. So James has laid out the, the outsized influence of the tongue and the overwhelming inconsistency of the use of our tongues. And now he turns here to giving some kind of solution, the only solution that we can have for it. And he does so in, a, in an interesting way. He doesn't really give an outright explicit imperative command here. It's kind of an ex exhortation, but it's more like a, just a statement. And as we find at the end of, of verse 10, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. It just shouldn't be this way. It just shouldn't be this way. That's not what the tongues were created for. The harsh kind of speak that would curse other persons. Or say, cutting things or to attempt to hurt and shame and other people. So this just simply ought not to be this way. That's his exhortation. But here's a dilemma. This creates a little bit of a, a dilemma for us. And that is in verse 8. Where James just says this. Verse 7, he's just talked about how every animal can be tamed and has been tamed. He goes, but no human being can tame the tongue. So it's interesting, this heading at the top, it says the taming of the tongue. And here in verse 8, he says, in reality, no human being can tame this tongue. The way the tongue is used is not supposed to be used that way. However, the reality of our sinfulness and our sinful hearts is that we can't tame our tongues. This is kind of the dilemma here. Does that mean we shouldn't try? Well, no, of course not. I mean, James has talked about here the difficulties that we would go through in order to produce perfection in us. But we saw already that perfection in this life is not possible. Yet we still strive to what God has called us for in maturity. So it doesn't mean that we don't try. But I think the point here that James is making in verse 8 is that we need divine help for our tongues. We need divine help with our tongues. And so the answer is that God can control the tongue. you to notice this verse and if you if, if it gets written down in the notes there if you have it if you don't have the handout i'd like you to write this verse down we're going to revisit this verse here in a moment but psalm 141 verse 3 and i'll read the entire passage we have um well maybe i don't have a slide for it here yet but let me read the passage for you psalm 141 
verses 1 through 3. O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Here he says it's a prayer about prayer. Okay. And then in verse 3, the psalmist says these words. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. That's what the psalmist is doing here. He's asking, I think he's recognizing, God, you are the one who can provide this guard, this gate over my mouth to protect me from saying what I shouldn't say. He says, he continues, keep watch over the door of my lips. The idea here is there's a gate and there's a guard who's watching the gate. And that gate is over the mouth and the guard is watching over the gate who is guarding the mouth. And so the two working together in tandem and he says, Lord, that needs to be you. You need to construct this gate over my mouth and you need to act as the guard who's keeping watch over that door on my lips. Verse eight tells us no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's a deadly poison. It is over uh, outsized influence and it's overwhelmingly powerful and overwhelmingly inconsistent the only way we could gain control over it is if God does it so that's that's the the answer that he gives now there is a short-term solution to it obviously we are to do something about it right this is why James says in verse 19 of chapter 1 he says you need to be slow to speak so hey that's a good first step right be slow be patient, be cautious in what you say. And I think the book of Proverbs gives some very helpful little pithy advice for us on how it is that we should control our mouth and what we say. And I, I think I've posted some scripture verses. Are they printed in the handout? Like 80 verses. So there's something like that. No, I left them out. All right, I'll have to email. That's the short term, obviously. Be slow in what you speak. But long term is that we got to realize what the problem is. And that the problem is not just the tongue, but the heart. The problem is not just the tongue, but the heart. Notice what we read, what Jesus said in chapter 12. Verses 36 and through 37 earlier about how we will be judged for and given account for every careless word we speak. But right before those words, uh, Jesus said this in verse 34 and 35. He said, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart. So we have to realize that this is a heart this is a heart problem. This is a heart issue. 
And the words you say come from your heart. The words you say reveal your heart. So one, realize the problem is not the tongue and heart. And second, cleanse your heart through the confession of sin. First John chapter one, verses seven through nine. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I would imagine based on James's description here, all of us would be guilty and in need of some cleansing of our, of our speech. As a matter of fact, he says this quite clearly, um, that we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in what we say. So in closing, what I'd like to do is to do two prayers for us. To pray not just today, but, but also regularly. One is a prayer of confession and the other one is a prayer of consecration. So one is a prayer of confession for the way that we have used our tongues wrongly. And then a prayer of consecration, doing what James is asking us to or telling us to do here. And that's to bring this heart issue to God and have him act as our as our gatekeeper over our tongues. And so here's the prayer of confession based on 1 John, based on this passage, and based on the words of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. And so if you would, you know, kind of close your Bibles, put your stuff away, let's look at this screen, and let's slowly and carefully pray and genuinely pray this prayer of confession together, shall we? And you do this quietly. I'll read it out loud. You could pray this quietly. Father, I confess that I sin with my mouth. I know that on the day of judgment, I will give an account for every careless word. I speak and by my words I am condemned I say with Isaiah woe is me for I am lost I am a man of unclean lips or I am a woman of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But your word calls me to confess the sin of my speech. And your word also promises that when I confess the sin of my tongue, you are faithful and just to forgive me of that sin. 
and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Cleanse my tongue through the blood of Jesus. Touch my lips and take that guilt away. And now our prayer of consecration. These are two verses from the Psalms. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. And keep watch over the door of my lips. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, we are grateful for your word. And what James has written here. And we're thankful, God, for the challenge that is presented to us. And we thank you that you're the way that your word exposes. Um, exposes us in the use of our our tongues. We thankful God for the reminder of the severity that sinful speech has in our life. So we hear this word of yours today, God, and we're convicted of it. And we thank you that as we confess the ways in which we sin with our tongues, that through the blood of Jesus, that we could be forgiven of those. And Father God, as we've been forgiven, we pray now this prayers of consecration that we commit our whole selves to you. But as James reminds us, if we can bridle our tongue, we can control our whole selves. And so God, we'd ask for you to help us To make our speech acceptable to you. Bring to mind the ways in which our speech is not acceptable to you. And help us to seize it. And repent of it. And confess it. And again turn to you and ask for your help. To guard our lips. We ask that you would do this through your son, Jesus Christ, and by the Holy Spirit that resides within those who trust in him and all God's people said, amen and amen. Friends, will you stand for a closing benediction?
Uh, reminder for the 22nd next Sunday night. Well, next Sunday morning, we actually have the feast is in the morning before the service. So make sure you come uh, for that. And uh, next Sunday night for the Christmas hymn sing. If you haven't received one of the little cards is like an invitational. Pick one of those up on the table if there's any left and invite a friend. Bring them over here. We'll have the place decorated and the lights out and it'll be a wonderful time. Uh, for us to sing uh, traditional Christmas uh, Christmas songs. All right, friends. Now for our closing benediction. As we send you on your way. May the grace of our Lord, Jesus Christ, and the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.